All right, so if you would, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18? I wanted to, uh, I was, uh, some of you know, I've been sick for about a year with this stomach thing that I picked up in the jungle, and so I went uh, to the, got a colonoscopy, could be done, got the results, and they said, your colon looks new, it's great. So, isn't that wonderful? He was expecting... Uh, are worried that there might be, he, not me, the doctor after when he came out, the first thing he said was, there's no cancer. So I guess either he thought I was worried about that, he, no one said that word, but anyway, how wonderful for him to say, it looks like news, great, perfect. Uh, so then I had to, I found out that I had to take a test to see if I was celiac. So imagine me not being able to eat wheat or a hamburger bun or something. I mean, that sounds like penance or something. So got the result that I'm not celiac on a wonderful you have to be greater than four on the scale and i was a one so i'm sure that means i should continue eating lots of white bread uh as as much as possible uh i'm sure that's how you know if i'm a one right so anyway no okay sorry i've got the healthy people here shaking their head no all right so but that was good news but then uh uh today uh, i went in and um, so I, I had tried to get in a study for my fatty liver, and I was going to study, and they said, oh, you got some problems, you can't, you got to come back once your triglycerides are low. But in that, they took an EKG, because before they give you an experimental medication working for the fatty liver, they have to make sure they have a baseline of your heart and all these different things. I had never had an EKG before, and in the EKG, it showed a right bundle branch, which... Some of you probably have heard of that before. I had never heard of that. But apparently your heart is in four parts. And there's electricity that's supposed to go through all four parts basically simultaneously. And a right bundle branch means that the right front part of the heart, it's a little behind. Now, many people apparently have that, and it's nothing. If you're born with it, it means nothing. If it's something that's developing, then it's a problem. But of course, I had no baseline EKG. So I, you know... With Susie and the kids, we've had so many crazy things. So the verse that I always think of is, many are the trials of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So every crazy thing, you know, always it ends up you know, crossing these things off. So I go to my doctor today to get a referral to the cardiologist, and uh, he said, great, got, got all that taken care of. But he said, let's do a mirror, let's do the EKG again, which I didn't even know, you know your doctor like that could do. But anyway, he puts it all up, they did it, and he says, uh, you're, there's no, he said, now I have the one that shows it because I had brought him the, the one that showed the bundle branch or whatever it's called. I may be saying it wrong, but anyway. And uh, he said, well, in this one today, there's nothing. So I figured I was just going to be the bundle branch that, you know, didn't mean anything. But instead, the Lord, at least for this morning, there was no evidence of any sort of thing. So he said, you still need to go to the cardiologist because I have the one showing it, but... Uh, there's nothing that suggests that you have anything. I mean, again, he's not, there is an EKG showing it, but the one today, there was not, not even a hint of it. He said, there's nothing. So I'm trusting the Lord. I'm, I was really grateful. I thought that was a, a wonderful thing and felt um, really pleased with that. So, all right, Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Now, Luke chapter 18 is, Jesus is teaching disciples a lot about prayer. And so there's stories here, but it's, connected to prayer and to faith, and um, 
I thought, maybe I need to preach this, that whole chapter. There's so many interesting things. But I want to just focus. Uh, my, my niece's husband is a young preacher, and he's, he's pretty good up there in Kentucky. I was impressed with his first sermon. It was excellent. And so he was talking about preaching different things. And so I told him, you know, hey, I didn't like his ideas. You know, he's going to talk about the thorn in the flesh. I'm like, hey, at 30, you don't get to talk about the thorn in the flesh. You can't, you know. So there's all these things. He had great ideas, and, and, and I'm just crazy enough to tell him no. Like, who am I to tell him no? Uh, but anyway, I, I told him. But anyway, I, I said, we, we, you want to focus on Jesus and the Gospels. For most of the history of the church, people have spent the majority of their time teaching the Gospels. In the last 100 or 200 years, the focus has been on the Epistles without the understanding that the Epistles are commentaries on the Gospels. And if you don't know the Gospels well, you can turn the epistles into all kinds of crazy things and get off the track and miss the point. So you want to stay focused as much as possible on the life and ministry of Jesus. And then understand the epistles in reflection to that. And it makes a very big difference uh, in the way in which you understand the scriptures if you spend the focus of your time in the Gospels with Jesus. So he is super cool and, you know, here I am telling him all this stuff that I have no right to tell him and direct him and drive him crazy. And, uh, but he went along. He said, okay, so uh, here we are. But, but uh, I wanted to, I, so I'm telling him why this is a good passage and how great this is. So I said, oh, when Larry called me and said he's sick, I said, okay, well, I'm going to preach on it. So here we go. His will probably be better, but here I go. Um, Matthew 18, verse 31. When he, Jesus, took the twelve aside and said to them, behold... We are going up to Jerusalem. So this is where he is getting ready to take them up. Now he comes a long way around on the east side, comes down through Jericho and up through Jericho and then up through Jerusalem uh, to be crucified. And so he knows, he's told the disciples that. But of course he's told them all kinds of parables and things that they haven't understood. And so now of course, uh-oh, some of our very favorite people in the world are coming through the door. But let the take say that Pastor Danny Austin and family are here. So we are very pleased to see them, our dear friends from Oak Park Baptist Church. Anyway, so Jesus is going up, and he's getting ready to be died, and so he's reminding the disciples about his death. And so, um, by the way, Jackie, would you get one of the, the here things for my dad? There's an echo here, so if you don't, it's hard. Even though as loud as my voice is and everything else, I mumble, exactly. I don't finish the end of my words. Anyway, my father's here with my mother, his second wife. No, I'm kidding. It's his first wife. She looks like his second wife because she looks a bit younger, but that's another story. It's his first wife and my mother. So, sorry. We'll get him the thing. All right. Jesus coming up to be crucified. He's telling the disciples this stuff. They don't get it. Now, this is really important. In the Gospels, you notice, uh, you will notice that the blind people, though they can't see physically, they get things. They see it. They see it at the same time. The disciples who have clear sight don't get it. And so it's fascinating because we're like the disciples uh, who often misunderstand and don't get it. So he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, so that, so that the Scripture be fulfilled. What's being fulfilled? How can we sum up the Old Testament? That God keeps his promises, and even at the very beginning, at the fall in Genesis 3.15, the promise was that there was one who would come which would undo the destruction of the serpent. 
the Proto-Euangelion in Genesis 3.15, the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. So all the scriptures are going to be fulfilled according to the Son of Man. So he's going to come, he's going to live perfectly, he's going to die, he's going to rise again. So he's telling the disciples these things, and of course, they don't really get that he means it literally, or however you want to say it, they don't get it. For he will be delivered to the pagans. Why would the Messiah be delivered to the pagans? So they had to think, he doesn't really mean this, right? He's going to be delivered to the pagans and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And they're thinking, he didn't do anything wrong, they're not going to do this. They didn't get it. And on the third day, he'll rise again. So he tells them this. Now, he had been telling them. They didn't really understand it. But now he's getting close. And he's getting ready to come up into Jericho and to go through up to Jerusalem. And 34 says, but they understand none of these things. Now, there's process. And this chapter is about prayer. The 18th chapter of Luke is about prayer and about faith. And so there's all these stories, and they're interconnected, and they're all about faith and childlike faith and, and not faith in riches. and all the, There's all these different things going on in this chapter. But he's telling also part of the spiritual principles that, that the Son of Man's got to die. And part of us in our discipleship as Christians looking back is part of our lives is experiencing the tough times and identifying him and his weaknesses and his sufferings, even as God in his grace is so uh, wonderful to bless us with these moments of resurrection, like the day when they said, oh, uh, your heart's perfectly fine. The EKG shows nothing. I, I was so happy. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. I felt like it was a kiss from Jesus on my forehead. Okay, there's, there's these moments like that. And there's moments where you say, I don't know what you're doing. I've been sick for a year. Okay, now, there, this is the spirituality of Jesus Christ. If your spirituality is all suffering, you're going to get messed up. If you're... Uh, if you have a triumphalism, you think everything's going to always go great, you're going to get messed up. Okay, we, we walk with Jesus, and he leads us into storms. He leads us uh, to deal with the devil. He deals with us with people. I mean, there's all these things. And Jesus is telling, and the disciples don't get it. But they understood none of these things. And we understand very little as well. Knowing that, if we can keep ourselves open, recognizing we don't really understand, there's nothing worse than cheap plastic Jesus answers to people who are going through real suffering. Far better to say, we really don't understand, and just to cry. It's far better to say nothing and to, and to cry with people than to give them ridiculous answers. <coughs> Even true answers in words mean very little to people who are really going through pain. Simply being present and loving them is far better. These, this saying was hidden from them. They just and they didn't know the things which were spoken. All right. Now, here's a blind man who it wasn't hidden from. And this is the beauty of this story, Bartimaeus. Now, probably we have the name of Bartimaeus because he, was a, he became a believer and was known to the people when Luke was writing his gospel. That's why they believe that most of the people, who's, if, you, if the name is given, it's because people remember him or people would know him or maybe they'd know his family years later. All right. So, verse 35, then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, Jesus, verse 35, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Now, to beg in Jewish culture effectively, you had to have the local synagogue approve that you were legitimately in need. So, it wouldn't just be like if we went down to the bus station, which I don't know. I guess we have a bus station, but if you went to Grand Central Station in New York City, presumably there'd be lots of people there. Uh, who'd be begging, or a different place, you'd see lots of people. And you wouldn't know who's legit and who's not legit. 
C.S. Lewis said one time something to the effect, I would rather be taken a million times than to not have given to someone in legitimate need. Something, it's a, I'm, I'm saying it not nearly as beautifully he did, but I, I read that today, uh, a quote by Lewis, and I think that's uh, significant. But, but nonetheless, we would know, and it causes frustration, and you know, who do I give to? We feel guilty. And I mean, I was in, um, I was in Chad, and, and we had all these beggars. The problem is if you take out your money, then they rob you, and so it's well known. And so people tell you, as much as you want to give to them, if you do, it's going to be a nightmare, and you can kind of see it coming. So you, everything in you wants to give them some money, but you recognize the whole thing. So I'm going, and then a boy comes up to us with this crowd of beggars, and I'm with Ken, uh, who was a very faithful companion on this last trip with the bus with the fire and the wreck and all these different things we happened to us in Africa. Uh, and, and so we're there, and we're going, and it's dark, and we're going back, and a young kid with one leg, and, and uh, looked like Tiny Tim, the African version of Tiny Tim from uh, the movie, and he's there, and he's saying he doesn't know any English, barely except to say, please, mister, give me some money or some food, or you know, and he says it, in, and, uh, and he's following us. So we're, we're walking, and he is, I mean, moving with his crutches with us down, you know, 20, 30 yards, and you're, you know, you're, so... I've got a big heart, so I gave him Ken's Pringles. That's the punchline. I gave him Ken's Pringles. I couldn't reach to get my wallet because of that we would get attacked, but I gave him Ken. So sometimes the way to respond to these situations is you give them someone else's stuff. That's the point for you today. That, that took all the, the, the fear of whether I was giving him legitimately or not went away because I gave him Ken's. So I, st- I need to have on Sunday, I need to get a can of Pringles. In those days, they didn't give to people they didn't know were legitimately need. So the synagogue qualified them, and they wore a symbol like a star, which I wonder about the Nazis all these years later, if, they, if that's where they got the yellow star. But there was a symbol that they wore that the synagogue qualified and said, this person is in legitimate need. So I don't know if that was a mocking later or if it just was a different thing. But there was a thing that that's how they legitimized. So he had a cloak, and on that cloak he had this thing. And of course that cloak that he ends up throwing off in the story, that was his lifeline. If he doesn't keep to that, he's got nothing. I mean, if he doesn't have that, no one's giving him anything, no matter how blind he is. So that's all part of the story that we wouldn't necessarily know. So there was a certain blind man sat by the road begging, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now he realizes... What so many people, even Christians, in their time of great need don't realize their only hope, this guy's only hope is that Jesus will stop and touch him. Our, our life is never going to get better. Here's a guy who doesn't know him. He's only heard rumors, but he realizes if there's any chance for him, this is it. Now you're at a healing night. Hey, you wouldn't be out on a Thursday night if you weren't in some ways had the same kind of heart. Be of good cheer. Be a good cheer, because this guy made it his business that he wasn't missing his opportunity. And so he fights through the crowd, and, and the disciples even, as you're going to see. So, so uh, they told him, so he asked what it meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth passing by, and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I, I hate to scream into the microphone the desperation, but I want you to, son of David was an inscription of messianic title. So he is saying, he is trying to get Jesus' attention with the realization that though he's physically blind, he understands who Jesus is. At least better than a whole lot of people that were there. Even his disciples didn't fully get it. 
And so he cries out. I don't know if you ever heard someone cry out in a kind of a blood-curdling desperation. Again, I hate to do it to you in the micro, and I've done it before on Sunday mornings, but I want you to think, this guy, everything in him wasn't going to be put off because he knew his only chance was Jesus. Those who went before him warned him. I mean, he's in the back of the crowd. They're saying, shut up, you're nobody. You're nobody. Be quiet. You're making a ruckus. Be quiet. But those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him from this distance. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And the other accounts says the disciples were some of the people telling him to be quiet. Keep it him. He's not, you know, get out of the way. He's got important things to do. Got a sermon to preach. Got places to go. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? Now this is really interesting. The guy's blind. There's no way Jesus misses it that the guy's blind. So, you know, some commentators said, actually, I, I was reading about seven different ones because I was getting some commentaries. I have it on my computer uh, through a Logos program, and I was getting some commentaries and sending them to my, my, uh, my nephew-in-law or whatever. And uh, so I'd already done all this, so I was reading them. And there's one guy, he was dignifying by asking him, well, I don't know. Uh, I know he wasn't mocking him, but imagine, you know, you're blind, and the person says, and, and, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I guess this is, and one commentator said this, and I think maybe there's something to this. He said, maybe he, was a, maybe he was afraid to ask for what he really wanted. Maybe the question was there to see if he was going to pursue what he really needed or ask for something less. Imagine all things he might have said. I need people to take care of me. I, I, you know, uh, I need a, all, uh, can I have lunch? Uh, can I have five bucks? I mean, there's all kinds of things he might have asked lesser but I tell you, often Jesus asks me, what do you want? And it's amazing how people with heart troubles or shoulders, they won't say what they want. They're embarrassed. They're, they're afraid what people are going to think. They're afraid, what if it doesn't happen? What, if I, what does it say about me? What if I don't have enough faith? They've they got all these different things getting in the way, and Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Some of us, we need to get back in our right mind. We need, you know, we need uh, triglycerides going down. We need heart rhythms to be right. We, we need, and, and yet we're not even asking. Jesus is asking you tonight, what do you want? What do you really want? Maybe it's taken so long to be healed because he's waiting until you ask what you really need. I think a lot of times people are asking for the band-aid and they're not asking for the real root thing. Sometimes we don't know. It wouldn't be bad to say, Lord, whatever, whatever it is I actually really need. Some of us were experiencing emotional pain and mental pain. We don't really know what the... I want to be well. I want to be whole. He asked them, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? I think Jesus is always asking that. James says, you have not because you ask not. I remember thinking maybe about 40, how many things I didn't ask, I didn't have the courage to ask, and how many things I missed, not because Jesus wasn't willing, but because I was a coward to ask. Some of it was I was afraid of being disappointed. Some of it was I was afraid it was all about me and my faith and all, all these different things were going, you know, kept me from asking 
what um, Jesus in time showed me he was more than willing to do. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. He didn't ask for anything. Uh, I want to be comforted. I want to have an investment account. Lord, that I may receive my sight. He asked for the whole thing. Listen, don't ask for, for little things. Don't ask just to be comforted. Don't ask for, for little healings. Ask for the whole thing. You're here. I mean, I don't know what's on TV, but there's something. I mean, we got like 600 channels, and not one of them seemed to be interesting to me. But, but I mean, you could be doing something else. You could be at a birthday party. Here you are. What is it that he could do for you tonight? Really? Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is so important. Again, I said it on Sunday. It's a phrase that's really important. You've heard me maybe say it before. The great insight of the Reformation is that faith is receiving its primary function of faith. It's as if your heart is like this. Part of what faith does is it drops all our self-righteousness, all our pride, all the other stuff. But, but faith is simply saying, I'll let you love me. Father, I'll let you love me in Jesus and what he's done for me. So faith is just open hands. So he says, receive, because the guy asks, he's saying, receive. Your hands are open, receive it. Here it is. You don't have to wonder, do I have enough faith? You, basically, all you have to do to get saved or to become filled with the Holy Spirit is to simply be in a posture that says, Lord, I'm game. I, I'm willing to receive. And, and there's times I said, Lord, help me to be willing, because I don't know, you know, there's so many crazy things going on in my mind, I need... If, you, if the tiniest part of you is open and gain, Jesus is willing. Jesus willing. Receive it. Receiving it presupposes, in this case, a faith that was open. There are people, like we preached on Centurion on Sunday, his faith was absolute trust. His ability to receive it because I know who you are. I know the authority. I know that you're here from heaven. That's what the Centurion says. This guy says, nothing's going to keep me from the asking. And he asked it in a way that he was open to receive the answer. A lot of people pray, but they're not ready for the answer. My friend uh, Bishop Todd up in Canada, he, he likes to say, we should be, spend twice as much time thanking God for the grace of forgiveness that we should as we ask him for forgiveness. I spent years confessing certain sins and this and that and the devil. It was the devil. God had forgiven me away at the beginning. And my friend says, the reason people beat themselves up all this other stuff is they ask, but they don't spend the time receiving the grace that Jesus promises. What could I do for you? Well, I really want to be forgiven. Jesus saying, receive it. But our hands aren't open. Oh, we want to beat our, our hands are beating ourselves. We're beating others. We're all kind of stuff. But they're really in the spiritual life. It has to be a rhythm of asking for forgiveness and receiving it. And surely you should spend more time receiving. I mean, you see people who are really in love with Jesus, they're people who really have encountered Jesus in his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. They're people who have not, I mean, again, I think people are very sincere when they ask. They just don't realize that they, they're asking 
and they didn't realize their part is to receive. Jesus promises to do it, to forgive us, to cleanse us. Our job is to open up our hands and receive it, and then say thank you. What can I do for you? I want my marriage healed. My kids, my this, my, my shoulders, my knees, my back, my... What do you want? Jesus does not show partiality. I mean, Jesus is open and willing and yet, Thy kingdom come now. A command in the Greek. He says, how do you pray? You pray to the Father that loves you, who's holy, that's complete. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the first thing Jesus says, you pray this. Thy kingdom come right now. Thy will be done right now. That's what it's a command. It's an absolute command. Now I love it when it's sung all beautiful at weddings, but that's not how Jesus said it. Thy kingdom come now. Thy will be done now. He tells Gideon, "The Lord is with you. Therefore, though you're a coward, now you're a mighty man of valor." That's what he tells Gideon. Then he says, "Go in the might that you have." I gave it to you, now take it. He tells the disciples. He heals all these people. He says, you go heal. He says, oh, you can't heal anybody. Yes, you can, because Jesus said you can because he's with you. Because he was with them, he told the disciples to go and... He didn't say, I will do it. Of course, he's doing it. through. We don't have the power that comes from heaven, but nonetheless, Jesus wasn't embarrassed to say, you go do it. Go in the might that you have. I can, hear, I can hear what he said to Gideon, to the disciples. Go in the might that you have because I'm with you and you believe that you know that and I am. Therefore, go in the might that you have because I am with you. What do you need? We've got family members with cancer and we've got marriages that need healing in our family. We've got kids that we're trying to grow up and Get them through school and get them married. And, we <laughs> and we've got lots of things. Some of them are immediate. Some of them less immediate. We got, but there's a, just in our little family, we got plenty of things. And Jesus and I say, what would you have me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, I want to see. He didn't ask for a little bit. Now I was with a man this week who was in his 80s. He's been sick for a long time. And I said to him at the hospital, I said, look, I'm going to pray whatever you want. Some people, you know, you've passed the biblical promise of the 82 years. He's well past that. And I said, if you want a peaceful death, I'm going to pray for that. And if you want me to pray for healing, why not? Why not? You know, everything's possible. Jesus, whatever you want. He said, he looked at me like he was tight. He's like, Ron, I want to be with Jesus. Okay, that's an easy prayer. So Lord, give him a peaceful, let, you know, it's time, there's a time. I have no doubt Jesus is going to give him a peaceful death. It was a very, very dear, sincere, I want to go home to be with Jesus. I, think was, I want to go home to be with Jesus. Didn't say anything else. I mean, he, he was perfectly clear in his mind. I want to go, Ron, that's how I want you, don't be praying for any healing. This is time for me to go home. I'm ready to go home. Okay. What do you want? Is he big enough for what you want? Well, maybe my motives aren't pure. Hey, no one's motives are pure. Your motives get pure in the process. In the prayer process, 
God changes you and so that you can receive it. If you're game, if you're open, I'm not sure everyone's getting purified, but, but, but prayer, part of the delay is that God changes us so that we can receive it properly. Some people are so afraid of the blessings, they think the blessing will ruin me. Hey, we've all had a lot of shame, why not? But I'll tell you something, the blessing won't ruin you, it will cure you. Give you peace. Because with the blessing comes a grace to walk in the blessing. I was about at this chair where Jason is on a Sunday morning, and I was complaining to the Lord about right about here on my way to get the lights on. I have a little routine. I do like walk a little circle. Some of you remember Dennis the Menace. If you saw me every Sunday morning, I take the same little path, and I do. So I was about right about in here, and I was complaining to the Lord that He wasn't helping me be holy enough. And I was thinking about my sins and my problems. He said, "The reason you're not holy holier is because you're more impressed with your sins than you are with my Son." He said, when you're more impressed with my son and his cross than you are with your sins, you're going to change. What do you want tonight? Everything's possible to those who believe. Everything's in play. Nothing's too late to those who believe. Because the one we believe in is the one who went and was crucified for us, dead, buried, and resurrected on the third day. He was the one who is... God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And when he asks the question, he has everything and all the resources to answer it. What do you need? What can Jesus do for you tonight? Don't be bashful. Don't ask for little things. Lord Jesus, we love you. You're so wonderful and you're so amazing and we're so imperfect, and we're like the disciples. We're blind all the time, and I'm blind all the time, and think I know something, and you just show me when the flames get a little hotter that I don't know what I thought I know, knew. Lord, help me, and I pray for these ones here tonight. Would you pour out your spirit? Would you give us the courage to ask you for exactly what we need? We don't have to tell the person that prays for us. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be said out loud. But I pray, Lord, that as you whisper in their heart tonight, what can I do for you? That we would ask the deepest longing of our heart. That we'd ask it. That we'd hold nothing back. That our fear of being disappointed, our fear of not being good, of all these different things, the hang-ups that we had and been taught, Lord, please help us to get beyond ourselves. Help us to empty our hands tonight of any bitterness and unforgiveness or uh, any self-hatred or whatever wrong, th- whatever it is. Lord, help us to open our hands like Bartimaeus. And without any shame to answer you because of who you are and to receive it. We ask these things because you're so wonderful. Uh, you're so glorious, Lord. And because we love you. We love you imperfectly, but we love you. Help us to love you better. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, now the good news is, it's a small group tonight. If you would like prayer tonight, it will be even easier than normal. Now, I mean, I know it's hard.